0: I was told specifically by somebody, your story is just an anecdote, so it's really irresponsible for you to talk about it because you could stop people from being vaccinated and you could be responsible for their death.
1: That was the first time I was like, when is it ever not okay to tell the truth? Today I sit down with filmmaker Jennifer Sharp. After being injured by a COVID-19 genetic vaccine shot and meeting others facing similar realities, she made the documentary film Anecdotals.
0: A lot of people learned that when they went to the doctor that they cannot even tell the doctor that it was a vaccine reaction and they'll get better care. I actually tried not to make this movie for a long time. I was like, somebody might want to hire me as a director on their movie and then be like, oh, that's that anti-vax director. Like, let's not hire her. But in the end, I knew it was right to make this movie.
1: This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. Jennifer Sharp, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you, it's so great to be here.
1: Let's start with this. When I read the words safe and effective, What's the first thing that comes to your mind?
0: The vaccine, <laughs> the COVID vaccine, obviously, it's like the manipulation of it.
1: So, okay, well, so, so the, the manipulation of it, of the yeah. vaccine or of the messaging? The
0: messaging, catchphrase messaging. And it's funny because when I first heard safe and effective at the beginning of the pandemic, I didn't put it with any catchphrase or anything. I'm like, oh, of course they're saying safe and effective because they have to. But then more and more, as I'm hearing more and more people, and they're all saying the exact same thing safe and effective, safe and effective, celebrities, television hosts, um, just tons of people. And then I'm like, wait, this is actually a manipulation because that's not, it's like what we're told to say.
1: Did you know at the time that there was a lot of money behind that, that it was a marketing campaign?
0: I didn't know that that was, no. Honestly, just to be honest, I mean, I feel like I sh- if somebody would have really had a conversation with me, I probably would have figured it out in that conversation. But I just wasn't even trying to put two and two together like that, so it never—I never thought like, oh, there's this huge campaign for safe and effective. Um, however, this is a, a tiny bit of a jump, but I just saw the documentary the, um, on Hulu, *Dopesick*, with Michael Keaton, and it's about the OxyContin crisis. And it talks about how when they were trying to up the dosage of Oxycontin, they would call something breakthrough pain. And if you have a patient that has breakthrough pain, that's a reason to give them a higher amount of Oxycontin instead of like realizing the Oxycontin wasn't actually working or was, you know, you, it was becoming addictive. Um, and so there was a whole campaign and I saw this like in the, in the Hulu series and I was like, breakthrough pain. And I was just like, and it was like, okay, breakthrough infection, like in the COVID, we have this breakthrough infection, therefore, you need a booster. And so now I'm like more aware. And I'm seeing like, okay, these are all all these words are marketing campaigns. And now I'm like, right away, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. But at the beginning, I was not.
1: Well, you know, here we are, you've made this wonderful, wonderful, and sometimes heartbreaking film anecdotals. And you've went on quite a journey from, like you said, not really thinking about it to these days, really thinking about it quite a lot and talking to a lot of people who have kind of been forced to think about it. Um, How did you get here?
0: It was a slow and fast process. Like I think I've always been somebody who questions, questions, asks questions. Like when I was a kid, I always had a hard time on true false tests because I'd be like, well, true if this, but false if this. And that was me in second grade. <laughs> so I've always like wanted to look at different sides and had a hard time with black and white. But um, I I took, th- it was my vaccine injury. Basically I got vaccinated. I had a vaccine injury. Um, I couldn't get my second shot and I, as, I, as that put me on the outsides of society, it put me not in the mainstream. The mainstream was saying safe and effective. The mainstream was saying, this is, you know, get vaccinated. It's the only way to live. Otherwise, you're going to die. And, and then I was like, well, wait, they're not talking about me. I can't get vaccinated. And, they, and so I started to really question everything. Um, when I was told I wasn't allowed to speak about my reaction, I was told it was irresponsible and unethical because I, wasn't, I was told specifically by somebody, your story is just an anecdote. It's just anecdotal. So it's really irresponsible for you to talk about it because you could stop people from being vaccinated and you could be responsible for their death. So um, that was the first time I was like, when is it ever not okay to tell the truth? You know, when is it ever okay? Like, when is your truth not okay? And then from that, everything was a question, everything. And I started, and the whole pandemic has been a lot of questions. Like, why isn't natural immunity, you know, why Why is getting the vaccine better than natural immunity? Why am I in a support group with thousands of people who have been vaccine injured, whose lives have been ruined, and yet it's safe and effective? It's safe, it's safe. So I just started seeing more and more wrong things being said, and I started questioning more and more. And yeah, now I question every single thing that anybody says to me, regardless.
1: So something that strikes me about what you just said is there was this total loss of a risk-benefit analysis. Like basically, someone told you, if you suggest, even make a suggestion that there could be harm from this vaccine, maybe someone will be vaccinated, right? It's like, everybody should be vaccinated. That's the a priori assumption. There's no conception that there could be a, another side, that there, that there is a risk as with any vaccine. It just complete, completely got lost. Was there a moment when you realized this?
0: Yeah, when I started telling people about my reaction, and they would really, it was from the start of my reaction, because I'd be like, oh, I had a reaction from the vaccine. And they'd say, oh, well, it's rare. That's like, like, oh, wow. Well, sorry, you had that. Uh, It's going to happen to a few people. It definitely happens. You know, we know vaccine reactions happen. We know they're rare. And then it's like, well, how do you know they're rare? Because nobody's following me. My data is nowhere. I mean, I entered it on VAERS, but once enough, knowledge, once enough facts came up on VERS, they started discounting VAERS, you know, so no one's studying me, no one's calling me, no one's calling anybody in my group. So how
1: do we know it's rare?
0: And so I would just see these mechanical reactions from people. Oh, it's rare. Can you tell
1: me a little more about specifically what happened to you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I got vaccinated. Um, the night of the vaccine, I had a reaction. It was like the left side of my it was the, the left side of my face, left arm, left leg. Pins and needles buzzing, left ankle, left knee, swollen, hurt to walk. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night. The bed was dripping sweat. And then when I woke up, I was just like drenched in sweat on my left side. But my right side was totally dry. And my left side had a fever. Like it was hot to touch. My right side was cool. So I'm like, there's this weird reaction happening all on the left side. I couldn't feel my face. Um, And I went and it was it was pretty bad. And like, you know, i called call my mom, I'm like, I can't feel my face. Like, this is weird. Like, you can't really feel it. Um, but then I just thought, well, maybe it's a reaction that will go away. But it, it, it never went away. I mean, it definitely got a lot better. But by the time it was my third shot, I mean, my third shot, third week to get the second shot, um, I was just like, yeah, I can't get a second shot. And it never got worse than that. Like, it was the worst, the first, Few, the first six weeks. And then it slowly got better. Um, so I'm really lucky. But what that did was it allowed me to be a part of a support group and be a part of this this community and seeing people who were way worse, who've lost their houses, people who are homeless, people who cannot work anymore. And they're getting no help, no acknowledgement. And I was just like, blown away on the support group every day. There's somebody who's like, how do I deal with my life? How do I deal with my new life? Um, Everything is broken down. Since I got the shot, it's been horrible. And these are true stories, people talking, and nobody knows about it. So anyway, I was in the group, and um, mine were not nearly as bad as most of the people, but I think that allowed me to inspire me as a filmmaker um, and also as like to have this access to this group and to have the energy to make a movie because if I was as bad as a lot of these people I wouldn't have had the energy to put this together so but I still it's been two years almost March and I actually have had a flare-up the last week and I don't know if it's because I'm so stressed out with this movie <laughs> like, I don't know what has made it happen but like the last three nights Um, like I couldn't go to sleep. I was in so much pain. The left, my whole left arm, my whole left leg, it was like electric. Like when you're, when you fall asleep and your, your leg falls asleep and then it's waking up and you know, when it's waking up and it has that like super buzzing and it's like, Oh, it like really hurts. Like I was like that on my whole left arm, my whole left leg for like five hours and I couldn't sleep. Um, that was four nights ago. And then the next night I had the same thing, but a different pain. It was more pins and needles, like stabbing. So, and sometimes I just have to like, get the stabbing away. Like, I, like I'm like i like, oh, there's a pin or there'll be a prick right here. And it's just like, and if I don't do this, it, it's like, it's like someone's. So I still have, and this was like the last four days. Um, I also, my palms itch a lot. Um, so I, I say mine wasn't that bad. And I say it's not that bad because I've seen way worse, but still to live like this, I wonder, am I gonna develop multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's or like what's going on with my nerves? I don't know, and this is still two years later. So I'm totally functional though. I was able to make a movie. I was able to do all this stuff. So I feel like, I feel lucky. So I downplay what happened to me. But the thing is, is there's actually a lot of people like me who have these random neurological stuff. And a lot of people who don't even know it, they don't even realize it's a vaccine reaction. And there's a lot of people just on the milder side, walking around with this stuff that we don't know what it is. And then there's the people we're really trying to highlight, which are the really horribly, horribly hurt people who can't walk and all that stuff, but there's levels. So that's my reaction, but still the fact that it's two years later and I'm still, I don't like this is this last few days has been worse than it's been in a really long time. And I all I can think of is like, the, either the stress of the movie, or it was raining in California. <laughs> 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 the rain.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's amazing to be able to laugh about these things. You know, I, I have a friend who reached out uh, at one point, who I, I haven't talked to in ages, and told me, you know, thanks for what you've been doing. By the way, I have tinnitus and I'm pretty sure it just started immediately after I was vaccinated. This is one of these common, it's strong in the safety mm-hmm. signals. It's, it's, it's one of these sort of common reactions, but it can be incredibly bad. And in yeah. the movie, I remember you have at least one person who describes, you know, just an inability to think almost or hear anything. It's that bad.
0: Immediately after dose one, I developed paresthesias in my right arm. The numbness and tingling traveled to my right side of my face
1: my eye, and my ear. I saw a neurologist, one of the top neurologists in New York City. He said, oh, if it's the sides, get the second
0: shot. We just don't know. It's all new. Those two set me into a tailspin. Within four days, I developed debilitating tinnitus. The month of February... curled up in the fetal position on the bathroom floor, wondering, how will I ever live with this? Yeah. That's yeah. The tinnitus and that's the uh, um, is really it's debilitating. And I I actually have had it also since I got the vaccine, but it never happened before. But I hear this ringing in my ears. But for me, it's never lasted longer than 30 seconds. Mm. Like I'll have a wave of a sound uh, long enough that I can like like what's going on and then it goes away. So I've experienced it a tiny bit, but no, and the people who have it like debilitating, like that is what has driven people. That's one of the things that drives people close to suicide is like, it's hard to imagine if you don't have it, but like you can't hear, you can't hear conversations, you can't hear, and it's your whole day, your whole life. There's this ringing and yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird things that like, it's hard for people to imagine. And from the outside look normal You know, so people are like, oh, okay, it's a reaction. Oh, it's tinnitus or tinnitus, however we want to pronounce it. And um, yeah, it sounds really bad, but you can't really relate. Now, if I'm limping along in a wheelchair with like a bag, you know, then suddenly people get empathetic, you know, can get a little more. But it's like, no, tinnitus is actually a really, really horrible, horrible side effect.
1: I can't help but remember right now, there's one uh, medical practitioner in the film who describes this sort of sense of abandonment. There's this whole kind of yeah. social element. And I really want to talk about that because yeah. um, basically anybody who's been affected by these vaccines, either through injury or even simply deciding they're not going to get it, right. or you know, many, many examples of this is somehow there's this, there's this bizarre social reality that they have to face.
0: Yeah, abandonment is a really important word. And I have gotten so many messages from other vaccine injured people after watching my movie. And they all echo a lot of them echo the word abandonment. And they're like, I have felt so abandoned as well. And they're and they say thank you for helping me not feel so alone. But they're that's a key word for them as well. And for me and for us, like that's a key word It's abandoned. It's a society you thought you were a part of you're abandoned from and and it's like exactly like you said, even if it's if your choice was just not to get vaccinated when the mandates came, it's like everybody in the mainstream was like, oh yeah, even Don Lemon says, and it's in the movie, you should be left behind. If you don't go with it, you should be left behind.
1: The people who are not getting vaccines who are believing the lies on the internet instead of science, it's time to start shaming them. What else? Or
0: leave them behind. And then I would tell people, well, I actually got vaccinated, but I can't get my second vaccine. So I didn't choose not to be vaccinated, which I actually don't have a problem with that either. So I didn't like, I don't like separating myself from the people who chose not to, but just in terms of talking to the people that are so pro-vax, I can say to them, hey, I actually got vaccinated. Like you should have compassion for me. And their compassion lasted about 10 seconds of like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're one of the rare ones. And meanwhile, um, can you come to my birthday party next week? Oh, that's right. You're not allowed. You don't have a card. You can't go in the restaurant. Sorry. <laughs> like I'd be invited to things and I'm like, I'm not allowed to go to that restaurant. I live in Los Angeles. Um, there are a couple of things I was invited to and I was like, yeah, I'm not allowed. And then they'd be like, really? And I'm like, do you realize there's a lot of people right now that are not allowed to participate in society? And they were like, Oh, I never really thought of it like that. Well, that sucks. And then they go on with their life. They care in that moment, or they're interested, but they don't care enough to be like, Hey, this is wrong. And like, make a stand.
1: You know, I have to ask the most stereotypical question about a film. So why did you make this film? The reason I'm asking, okay, is because it didn't occur to me, you know, I can see you're making this film to raise awareness about the reality. Of people who have been vaccine injured and have been kind of left behind by the system, and I want you to tell me later a bit more about how that plays out. But it seems like you also made it for people who have been vaccine injured and, and realize that, oh wow, there's others like me out there, and there's there's a whole and community, I guess, yeah. of people. And you show that community in the film as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when I started editing it together and showing cuts, um, Josh Stileman, who's one of the producers, he was really great about watching the cuts. And, I, and the first cut is dangerous to show people because first cuts, they change. But And he asked me, well, who's your audience? Or what is your point? And like that's, you have to really formulate that. Like when you're editing it and when you're creating it to so be like, what exactly? And I was like, there's three, there's three reasons I've made this film. One is to open the eyes of people whose eyes could still be opened. So people who are very pro-vax, who don't believe there are injuries, but it's really because of the stuff they haven't seen. And if they're willing to watch it, I think that I can open eyes with this movie. I think I can bring us together. Some people, you know, just won't watch it. But the people who don't believe there are reactions, the people who are still very pro-vaccine, just to kind of see the nuance, that was one. The other one was because I was like, if nothing else, as an artist, in 100 years, I want somebody to watch this movie and feel a slice of what life was like in this time period. I want this to be like a historical piece, like this is what it was like for a lot of us. And then three, obviously vaccine reaction people. Um, I want to make something for those of us who have been outcasts Who I also want, because there are people, so there was somebody, I heard a story of this woman who joined our group who actually had already um, planned her suicide And it was in another, it's like Switzerland or somewhere, and she already had it planned. Like she was going there to do the medically assisted um, suicide because she couldn't take it anymore. And she had her plane ticket. She had it all. And then somebody, somehow she found our support group on Facebook. And because she she thought she was alone, she thought she didn't know there were anybody else who had been going through what she had been going through. And this was only like seven months ago. And if she hadn't found the support group on the day she found it, she would have been on a plane a week later. So I want people who are injured to not feel alone and to not get to that point and know that, hey, there's a lot of us hanging in there. If we all speak up enough, we'll get help. And
1: you know, it's, you're not so alone. I wanna highlight this because in a recent conversation with Reed Dressen, mm-hmm. who features prominently in your film yes. as you know, one of the, I guess, co-chairs of React 19, um, she mentioned to me that you know, she's aware of a number of these types yeah. of situations where people can't take it or looking to take their life. The thing that stops them the, the, is the family support or some kind of support system but when it's the people that somehow are gaslit or don't have that support that often go through with it it's just it's a horrible reality to contemplate
0: yeah it yeah the not having and especially like when you're so bad like those people who have committed suicide like you know a few of them have specifically noted I had no support for my family nobody believes me I just can't do this anymore. And I, you know, I understand that because, I mean, my family is great, but I mean, on the spectrum of family, like they care and they made it clear, like they believe me, but they don't believe me enough to ask me before they get their booster (laughs) or, you know, like, oh, sorry, this happened to you when like we hear you, but I'm still going to vaccinate my children. And and I'm not saying anybody should not be vaccinated either. Like, I I mean, I'm not here to preach, you know, I'm just here to show things. But it's kind of like, then at least ask me, ask me what I know, listen to the anecdotes. You don't have to full heartedly believe them. But that's a lot of truth in there.
1: Right. I mean, I'll just, you know, kind of for for the record, you know, in speaking with Dr. Martin Kohldorf very early in the pandemic, he was aware that we're talking about this risk benefit analysis that you always have to do around any medical intervention, there's always a cost, nothing is cost free, right. So for children, the risk of COVID was always so small. for healthy children, that there's never any credible reason for an intervention that had a non zero risk, which clearly this one does, right. It's one of these things that was a casualty, this kind of nuanced thinking. Right. There's a casualty in the pandemic. And that also that also comes through in your documentary, frankly.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to bring the nuance back to this conversation so that things aren't so polarized left and right, uh, anti and pro. Like there's a, there is a lot of nuance in the center. And I'm hoping to I'm hoping to just bring that up. And I think nuance comes from asking questions. And I think nuance comes from questioning yourself. And that's everybody in this, in the whole thing, you know? So it's like, um, but nuance also in the vaccine, like how does this vaccine program spread it? Like you talked about children, right? And it's like, does a child need to get vaccinated? Does an 80 year old need to get vaccinated? Like, I think they are different groups and they have different risk factors. And it really makes a lot of sense to be like, you know, maybe college kids don't need to be vaccinated if myocarditis is a high thing or, but there was none of that. There was none of that nuance. And a lot of the answers were, well, we were afraid that people wouldn't get vaccinated. If we said kids don't need to be vaccinated, then that might make other people think they don't need to. So as soon as you admit there's an adverse reaction, as soon as you admit there's a signal, as soon as you admit that children aren't dying, as as aren't dying of COVID and might not need to get vaccinated, then you suddenly, are making people afraid to get vaccinated. And that's the worst thing ever. So let's just get everybody vaccinated across the board. And it makes total sense that not everybody should be vaccinated. Like there is a risk that, you know, there is a risk and maybe some people should, but these are conversations that should be had instead of blanket statements.
1: You were a filmmaker before you made this film.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I was a filmmaker. I am a filmmaker, (laughs) yeah. And that was scary too. I had just finished, um, so I just finished right at the end of COVID, uh, my last feature film, the a fiction. It was actually my life goal pro- as a filmmaker. It's like my own story. Okay, so before I made, before I made the film, um, I had made, it's called Una Great Movie. And it was like Una Great, it's my great life's work as a filmmaker. It's very personal to me. I shot it in Mexico, in a town that I've been going to for 20 years that I love. And it was very much like, I use a lot of local Mexicans. And so as a filmmaker, I was just really excited and it took me six years to make it. I went through my life savings. I was like, this is the movie that I wanna make that nobody, no producer will jump on and make and I'm gonna just do it. So I had just finished it and then COVID happened. And so when I started making anecdotals, I had just released Great movie on Amazon. So it released in July of last year. And um, I actually was like, is this gonna hurt? my filmmaking career, doing a film about vaccines. Um, and I thought about that a lot. And I was just like, cause I, I don't want my filmmaking career to be this political thing. And I, Una Great Movie is a comedy, you know? So it's like, I tell people, if you're sick of all the craziness, like you want to just laugh, like watch, it's a, it's a very smart comedy. And um, so that's what I do. And then suddenly I'm making this movie that I know is going to make some people hate me. Some people think I'm killing people. So I actually tried not to make this movie for a long time. I was like, I don't want to get in these crosshairs. I mean, who knows? Somebody might want to hire me as a director on their movie and then be like, oh, that's that anti-vax director. Like, let's not hire her. It could totally be career suicide. And so I was trying not to. Um... But in the end, I was just, I, I knew it was right to make this movie. Like I had a, a clear vision. I have a clear situation, I have to do it. But so I do have, I did just finish my last feature. I do want to do another feature. I want to do comedies. I want to like, I'm an all around filmmaker. Like, and I think it shows in anecdotals too, because I, I mean, I pretty much did the whole movie by myself, you know, I was the editor and the writer and the director and, and our shoots, you know, when I interviewed people, it was like me and two other people. So we'd have like, so for like the shoot where I interviewed the woman Katie who had to vaccinate her children, we literally had five cameras just because, and I have extra cameras just in case I make a mistake cause there's so few, I'm interviewing her. But we set up the cameras and we have like one person doing kind of a two shot and then we have tripods set up. And then we had a, a one microphone here and then a microphone down there. And like we set it all up and then start the interview. And it's really just me and like, two other crew people. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh wait, okay, stop. That's why I do, when I do interviews too. I'm always like kind of extra aware of everything because <laughs> you're doing it without money. And, and, but the fact that I was a filmmaker and I know what I'm doing and I had actually just made this very great international movie gave me the confidence also to be like, I can do anecdotals, I can do it for not a lot of money and I can tell this story.
1: Yeah. You know, you, you're not just the director, you star in the film. Yeah which is, I guess yeah. would be obvious because yeah. you're, because you're vaccinated yes. yourself, but, um, well, how, how was that experience? It
0: was, um, I knew, so when I decided to make the movie, I was like, how am I going to make a documentary that's interesting, especially if I'm trying to get people who are, who don't want to hear the message. Who's going to listen to an hour of vaccine injured people, an hour and a half of vaccine injured people? Well, vaccine injured people will, maybe people who are very anti-vax will, but maybe they won't. They've seen the stories, right? So what's going to make anecdotals interesting and keep keep people's um, attention? And the answer was, I have to make it personal. As a, like when I thought about my, as a filmmaker, how I'm gonna do it, it has to be personal. It has to be my story. It has to be me telling um, everything I went through. So also politically, I felt like politically it was a very interesting journey that I went through as well, where I was someone who was very mainstream media and believed the CDC and the FDA. And then slowly and slowly finding myself at a anti-mandate rallies and, you know, being in this whole other world. I felt like that was a really interesting thing to cover as well. So I cover in the documentary um, my journey as a vaccine reaction person, but also as a human being in The United States during this time. I also knew it had to happen quickly. So once I started doing interviews and putting it together, I was like six months and I'm done, right? So I was like, it has to come out soon. So I'm not even thinking, I'm just being creative and I can edit myself and not think it's me. Like I'm not, I don't get all caught up and stuff. So I do it. And when the movie's done and I finally watch the whole movie through, I, I panicked because I, I was like, "Oh my god, what did I do?" Like I'm in this movie. Like I don't I don't want my face in this movie. I don't want to be the one talking. Like there's no escaping and I, I had kind of a panic attack. Um because I it wasn't until the movie was done that I actually realized like how crazy it was that I'm in this movie.
1: And how what an important part of it yeah, you are, obviously. Yeah. That's yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. So how easy was it for people, do, I guess among vaccines, are they ready to go? Yes, I want to be on camera, or is it difficult? It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. I had some really great stories. People
0: I approached, and they wouldn't be on it. And I understand. And like this one guy, I because I, you know, I wanted to also keep it. Balanced as far as racially and sex like men and women and different races and like I wanted to show that so it wasn't like um, And so I would reach out to some people specifically because I like needed another man at a certain point I was like, I think I have enough women and I talked to this guy and he was just like It was just devastating. He said, you know, my life has been ruined. I've lost my job I don't know how I'm paying my bills and he said I you know, I support what you're doing But I'm trying to get a work anywhere at this point and I can't do my normal jobs like I'm too sick so I'm out here trying to like get work and figure out how to survive and I can't have this, I can't be anti-vax, you know, I can't be part of it. And he wasn't the only one. I have another woman who is actually a friend of mine and she couldn't get out of bed. She was paralyzed for three weeks. She was traumatized. She hasn't told anybody in her world about it. And so I called her and I said, can I get you? Um, talking about this, and she was just like, "No, she was like, I'm, I'm not telling people, people, I, they, people. We have fights, we have arguments. People doubt me still, so I've just shut up about my injury. I don't talk about it, and I won't. And I got a lot of that. People who were afraid to talk about it.
1: You know, one person that jumps to mind that's in the film is actually one of the doctors. She's a naturopath, and she's, you know, one of these people. She's sort of explaining how she gives informed consent. I thought that was. It was just like a fascinating moment because you know I've had a number of people on the show where we discuss this issue and how just this whole sort of foundational concept of any medical intervention of informed consent being something that has to has to happen right never never mind with an emergency use authorization drug but like with anything right you need to know like if you take this you know there has there's always some risk people need to know yeah right yeah and somehow. So she's explaining this, and it just to me, as I was watching this, it seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> but this is this is so far yeah. as we've discussed, you know, yep. from from the semblance. There was this push. There, everyone, as uh, Peter McCullough says, who appears in the film, jab in every arm, whatever whatever it takes.
0: Yeah. Um, it was interesting because the day we shot that interview, I had two camera operators, so, so so me and two camera operators or whatever else we all did everything, you know, sound and one of the guys, um, so this is kind of a funny story, actually, I don't, I'm I'm a little sidetracking, but I think it's funny. So there were four of us, me, the doctor and my two camera operators. And I hadn't discussed COVID protocol, um, for the shoot. So one of the guys showed up in like double mask. And so, and I've just been in this world where it's like mask, not mask. Like and I respect people who want to mask, but I'm also like, am I gonna mask all day? Like I'm kind of in this weird world of like, I get both sides, but we're not, you don't have to mask. But then he's working for me, I hired him. I think I need to respect. So I went to him and I was like, do you want us all to wear masks? Like, and he was, um, he goes, no, no, I'm good. He goes, I just protect myself. Like I do a lot of shooting. So I'm, he's like, right. and I was like, are you sure? Cause I want you to feel comfortable. And he's like, no, you know, you guys can do what you want. So the other camera operator just went ahead anyway and wore a mask all day too. So like the two camera operators were wearing masks the whole day. And I just liked, I just liked the situation. I mean, there's no judgment on anybody or whatever. And so they wore masks the whole day and then me and the doctor didn't wear masks the whole day. And I thought, I found that really interesting because I, I don't know, like, cause I'm the injured one and she's the doctor and like, we're kind of like not as afraid. Um, I don't even know what that means. I just think it's like, it was like a funny situation. But the point was, we had such a great discussion when I interviewed her and there was so much knowledge or so much stuff that didn't make the movie. And at the end of the day, the cam- one of the camera operators came to me and he said, that was so interesting. They both were like, that was so interesting. Like we learned stuff. And he said, what is that thing that you talked about? You know, what is that? I forget, but it was really interesting that the heart thing. And I was like myocarditis. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I hadn't even heard of that. And I was like, and you've gotten vaccinated. Like he's, he's fully vaxxed and I think he was boosted. And he's a man who's maybe 32 years old, double vaxxed and boosted, had never heard of myocarditis until he filmed the interview. And like that is the point, informed consent. It's like, especially men who seem to get it more, but everybody and anybody period. But like, if you know that there's a signal of myocarditis of men, younger men, before you get vaccinated, you should be told about myocarditis. That's informed consent, but not only for consent, but so that if you go home or in in a few days you feel a weird thing in your chest, you know, oh my gosh, this might be myocarditis. Let me take care of it before it kills me or before it scars or, you know, like there's things that you can do to, you know, like if you knew that myocarditis was a signal, you could get vaccinated anyway and just be really aware of your heart. Are you exercising? Is it feeling weird? That could save your life. but these people are, are getting vaccinated, and, they're, and they don't even know what myocarditis is. And at this point, I think everybody should know very well what myocarditis is before you put that vaccine in your body. And that's informed consent.
1: The thing as you talk about masks now, you know, I keep there's always with every one of these interventions, there was always a kind of moral imperative assigned to it, like there's the correct way to behave, get the vaccine, wear a mask, Stay indoors and shelter in place, whatever it was, or you're a bad person or you're bad you you're're you're, you're antisocial you're against society. The moment where you're on the other side of it, forced either forced into it or you see some that thing that you can't unsee, yeah. which is a common you know phrase that people use, and suddenly you you notice the thing that everyone is supposed to do isn't just the obvious thing that everyone's supposed to do. There's actually something that needs to be questioned here, like you've been saying. And, and, and in some cases, you know, with, with, with terrible consequences, if it's not looked at with nuance and with questioning. To me, this has kind of been the theme of the, the pandemic in a sense, is, is these kind of realizations and this sort of trying to get out of this moral imperative thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that's what we could all learn and that's what is to get out of this more and i'm trying to think more I, that it's not just a pandemic thing but i think it really it really crystallized because we were really able to be polarized here and i think maybe it started with trump or, start, or started with obama or it got more extreme with obama and like people being against that and then trump and people being against that and now we have this thing that allows us to put all of our anger and our moral imperatives into the vaccine and i think the vaccine actually became like a you know a, a symbol for for your politics and that like if, because there has been so much anger on both sides, but I think it's really important that on both sides, we realize that it's not helpful to, um, to hate each other to be so extreme, and that there's things that were fed, like, to hate each other.
1: One of the things I have noticed, is that often people there, there's been these peoples like Dr. Asim who has been on the show, for example, who, you know, were at some point, almost like vaccine evangelist because he was such a prominent doctor in the UK and, you know, through a difficult personal journey realized, okay, this is not right, right? And and sort of and started coming out saying, you no, know, these things need to be halted until further study is done. You know, that's my conclusion. That's my scientific opinion based on this very compelling evidence I might add in the papers he wrote. So but for some folks they're, they're still really mad at him. Right. Yeah, and I also kind of understand that, especially if it's someone that says, you know, from the beginning was saying, No, I'm not going to take this medical intervention. This is emergency use. This is un- unreasonable. It's untested. This was a extremely reasonable position to take. But at the beginning, you know, you could you know yourself the kind of, um, Vile things that were said about yeah. such people, and the social stigma, and you know, I and mean, you were a bad person, right? You were told you were a bad person. So, yeah. you, you know, this is kind of our, this is our milieu, right? On one hand, there's this kind of, I don't know, it, it's almost like people there's this need to sort of label people in this sort of yeah saint or sinner way.
0: Yeah, and um, I remember hearing this reading this study about these lab rats that were tortured or, you know, that had trauma. And basically, I won't tell you the whole study, but what the study ended up showing was that a rat that was under pain, the first instinct would be to go and cause cause pain to another rat. So yeah, they did this whole series of like, okay, they're going to shock the rat. What does it do? They're going to do this. What does it do? Now they're going to put another rat in the cage and shock him. What does it do? It runs over and bites the other rat. And they kept doing that. And it's like the perfect example of a hurt person wants to hurt somebody else. So I understand that people were really hurt, especially the people who would not get vaccinated, were really hurt by the people who were calling them names, who were acting like they were murderers, who were okay with them losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you shouldn't, you don't deserve to be part of society. Lose your job. Don't feed your kids. You don't deserve that. That's what your kids get for having stupid parents. I mean, the worst thing said about people who wouldn't get vaccinated, they were hurt. I get it. I get that they were hurt, but how is it helpful to hurt people back? Um, it goes both ways, but it's like, that's not going like, to... What is our main goal right now? Is our main goal to open eyes and make a change? Or is our main goal to be like, I was right, you guys are evil. You know, so Mahatra, who has changed his vision, a lot of people have issues with him still because he was very pro-vax in the beginning and telling people to get it. And you can hate him for encouraging the pain that you were caused, but that, that doesn't help the situation. Like, I think we do need to come to a place where we can not take things as personally and look at the overall goal that like, there was a lot of reasons that people believed what they did and just because they believed just because they, they hate you. And they fell into that. You can be a bigger person and not fall into that because you end up being as bad. Like it just becomes this war and then they can explain, you know, why they thought of it. And so I'm just really big on like, let's, and it doesn't mean you have to totally forgive, like whatever that article was that was like, we need to, was it
1: amnesty?
0: Amnesty that was ridiculous, like amnesty. um, People need to be held accountable. And I think people should apologize. Like, I think, you know, Malhotra is doing that, like, he's just like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And like, that's the best thing you can do, is realize you were wrong
1: and apologize. Well, and and I might add, there's significant accountability what he's doing, because he's made it a mission to, you know, use it to use his position to explain things how he sees them. Right. So I think like that's a good example of someone who's actually, you know, trying to make good on this. Yeah. It's not that's not necessarily going to be everybody.
0: Right. And he's trying and he still gets kind of reamed by some people who are like, oh, he's just he's still he was part of the system. And so I guess my point also is like I understand that people were hurt and I understand that people are angry, but I don't believe it's going to help our cause. And the cause is, let's open eyes and change policies. And let's help people who are hurting. And like, so we have to get above our own egos and our own pain and look at what the overall goal is. And when we do that, we come together and we don't blame and we don't call people names. We like, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you in the middle. Like nice to meet you. It's it's a new thing. It's a new day.
1: (laughs) Do you have any sense of how many people uh have are are known to have been vaccine injured and you know their lives altered and you know in some significant way and now are trying to figure out what to do
0: so i don't have a i i don't have a sense but i can't tell you like since making this movie and also in my support groups like people from australia people from italy like i've been reached out to from people all over the world there are so many people in my support group i also have shown this movie so I've shown this movie to a couple people who after they saw the movie realized they had been vaccine injured and didn't know it. Um, Somebody who had a heart attack like two days after his vaccination and he went to the hospital and they didn't ever say anything. And there was like, so the hospital didn't ask you when you were vaccinated. Didn't, you know, like, no, no, they just, you know, my cousin had a stroke. It wasn't until he heard my story and which was three months after his stroke that he started, he heard my story where it was his sister that said, you know what happened to Jennifer and read this because I'd written something. And so he read it and they were like, that's what happened to you. And he had a stroke and ended up in the hospital. He didn't know he was vaccine injured until he until I told my story. Um, So and they're not the only ones. There are people who have realized they're vaccine injured by watching anecdotals. So I so you say how many people have been injured? I I, I really a lot. (laughs) That's a very scientific number a lot. And then there's also a whole portion of people who are, injured and don't, who are injured and don't know it, one, like have buzzing. Like the buzzing I have all the time, they might just think their foot's asleep more often, mm. but you know, like you might just be like, oh, my foot falls asleep a lot. Well, did that happen before the vaccine? Like it might just be that mild, um, or it might even be bigger and they're just like not thinking of it. And then there's also the question of who's vaccine injured that we'll find out 20 years from now. Like what do we know in the future?
1: Well, absolutely, and as we're talking here, I can't help but think one of the really terrible side effects of this sort of ideological adherence to the idea that the vaccines are safe and effective and doctors not being trained to recognize things which are vaccine injury is people going into the hospital with a heart attack. And I've talked to a number of people even on this show about this type of phenomenon, but the doctors don't know to look for that when it's something that is, you know, probably obvious to look for. In fact, any vaccine you have, if you have some kind of, if there's some kind of event that happens within yeah. a few days after it, that should always be considered, right? Because there's always that possibility, even if it's remote, right? But this, it, there's this kind of situation where with vaccine injury, as I understand it, the early intervention is the way that people can be helped yeah. the most to overcome this. And there are treatments for these things, you know, some of them, but in this situation, It just makes it very hard for people to get that early treatment
0: yeah and not only not only do they not our doctors so there's one that they're not trained or knowing to ask and then there's another thing that people go in there and think and say i think this was the vaccine and they're argued with like there are a lot of the doctors especially you know early on and in my group we'd be like we go to the doctors so we started when we would go to the doctors when people in my group would go to the doctor we you don't mention vaccine reaction like you don't say i had a vaccine reaction and very quickly, people started realizing you get better care if you go and just say, I can't, I'm numb, I'm having shocks, I'm having this. Um, If you say I had a vaccine, I I think it was the vaccine, you get like counted as crazy. They don't want to talk to you. Oh, no, it's not. So a lot of people learned that when they went to the doctor that they cannot even tell the doctor that it was a vaccine reaction and they'll get better care.
1: What a terrible reality. And in a sense, you have to lie to get better care.
0: Yeah, and and that's the truth. It's and yeah, I, I actually, you know, I see whole health doctors, naturopaths, but like I, like the main doc, like I, I have new health insurance, so I'll be having a new doctor as soon as I make an appointment. So, um, and I wonder, like, am I should I tell this doctor that I had a
1: vaccine reaction? Like, I I wonder. Like, I don't think they'll believe me. Well, so this is you know this is another question, right? If Doctors aren't aware of the entire reality av- available at any given point around these vaccines, for example. How can they recommend them and right. uphold the Hippocratic their Hippocratic oath? I mean, I've been struggling with this question. Could you trust a doctor that didn't make the effort to try to figure this out? Especially since you know there's a lot of anecdotal yeah. evidence that should be considered, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't know how, I don't, I like,
1: let me, let me qualify this a lot more than anecdotal. Right. But even when the, with the anecdotal evidence, that's, uh, you know, grounds for looking at some, taking something seriously.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's one of the messages, right? I'm sorry. I'm kind of, I'm jumping, I'm I'm jumping in here, but this is like, this is, this is actually very important. Like these signals, these signals, like for example, air signals, they come from anecdotes. Yeah right?
0: Right. They come from, so that, let's talk about that word, anecdotes, let's, because it's just become this, this um, weaponized word, right? So like, if you're telling your reaction, it's just an anecdote, it's just an anecdote. But, so when we're talking about if the vaccines work, people are like, oh, I know somebody who um, got vaccinated, and their COVID was really, easy. Like, I, you know, like, so thank God they were vaccinated or like, I think it's funny because people will shut me down because my story is anecdotal, but then they'll turn around and tell an anecdote, an anecdote on their side. And, but it's okay. Like the anecdote is, is a good word. An anecdote is like someone's personal story. No, it's not scientific, right? So it's not the science. However, it's, um, it's, true to that person and it's worth being listened to. And so I I love that word. And I think I made up the word anecdotals. I don't think that word actually exists. I think I made it up for the movie, the pluralization of it. But um, I think it's a really important word because people like to dismiss anecdotes and they say, oh, it's an anecdote. But actually an anecdote is the best thing. It's, I mean, it's what starts you needing to study. And that's the whole point. And Dr. Ryan Cole says that in the movie, he's like, I'm seeing patients coming with these reactions. I'm seeing more sickness. Yes, what I'm seeing are anecdotes, but that's what science is. It starts with anecdotes. You start seeing something that is like, okay, I'm hearing that again and again. I'm hearing it. Now we need to do a study. Now we need to make it scientific. And the problem with the COVID vaccine is that we are not going from anecdote to study. We're going from anecdote to censor. So what do we do when there's a lot of anecdotes and no studies? Why aren't we studying them?
1: Yeah, and I mean, and this was the case, you know, even in other um, realms of inquiry related to COVID. Now there are, you know, quite a few studies, for example, on some of these early treatment options like ivermectin, hydroxy, and another, I think at least 18, and there's at least 20 drugs which are used in combination to treat early and so forth. But again, very, very, you know, that research was somehow really kind of suffocated in lots of ways. In some cases, there were even studies which were, there's evidence they were just simply done wrong, almost with an effort to show that these things don't work when they're done wrong. Yeah. Right. I mean, just bizarre stuff like
0: this. Really bizarre. And I realized early on, as I said, as I started questioning more and more things, but it's like there were so many strong reactions about it. And people I knew were calling ivermectin a horse dewormer and making fun of people who took it. And these are people who I know for a fact don't know what ivermectin is. Like they just are hearing the headlines. Like, you know, like you don't have to have an opinion just because you're hearing headlines. So I actually read the ivermectin studies and I was like, um, you know, it's I saw how they could be swayed either way. And that was my point. Like, yes, I see studies that show it doesn't work. But also a lot of those studies took place in the hospital when it was too late and the point about ivermectin is right it's a protease inhibitor it inhibits the duplication of the the replication of the protein which is why you need to stop it right away before the protein keeps replicating and goes to your lungs in covid right that's the point you want to stop it before the replication gets really bad so some some kind of protease inhibitor so it makes sense that if the first few days is something that will help stop the replication of the protein is a good thing to do. So these were the studies I was reading where it was really good, but then I saw the studies where it was bad. And all I knew was like, I don't know, but I think I have a right to talk to my doctor and and decide something. It's also something that I believe is over the counter in Mexico. Like, so it's not something that's totally gonna kill you. And it, both of the sides, no matter what I wanna believe, I could pick a study. But people were so sure. And then, and, and doctors were getting like um, penalized for prescribing ivermectin, like drugstore, um, Drugstore pharmacists were reporting doctors who were um, who were prescribing ivermectin because it was suddenly this criminalized thing, and you might be a doctor who needs to be investigated who's spreading misinformation
1: or or refusing to fill prescriptions yeah. that doctors wrote. I mean, it's just everything. Yeah, seems to have been turned on its head. You know, this whole this whole profession, this whole system. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's like if there's nothing else that's clear, isn't it clear that you, whatever you want to believe you could find a study that backs it up. So like, just understand that. Like, cause people were so clear about like, Ivermectin doesn't work cause of the study, but I could show you one more. It does. I'm not saying what's right, but like, maybe don't be so sure about your side.
1: Mm.
0: Like that, maybe don't just, maybe that's all I'm asking too with anecdotals. And like, if you, you know, you think it's just anecdotes and you think the vaccine is the best thing ever. Like, just, you don't have to agree with me. I'm not, but maybe don't be so sure about what you think you believe in.
1: So we, talk, we talked a little bit about how people were kind of abandoned in various ways. That was just That was a very, very powerful testimony to me in the film. One word describes how I felt in the first few months after my diagnosis, abandoned. What support exists for people that have had, who are these anecdotes?
0: Definitely React 19, which was started by Vaccine Injured. Um, react19.org is a um, organization that Brian and a few other people started, and they are collecting resources. They're co- they're collecting things that work. There's a lot of you can you know look at a symptom and see other people with the same symptoms. So there's that. That's our own resource that we've created. Um,
1: and by the way, just to, uh, to yeah. answer a question I asked earlier, it's about twenty one thousand people I think that are involved in React19 now. That's the last number I heard. Okay,
0: twenty one thousand. Yeah. Is that is that? Is there? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like I'm like I can't even dare to think of a number because I'm just like I would be wrong, so I just say a lot. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so React 19, um, FLCCC frontline critical COVID care doctors have protocol on their website, and I think you know, and they're actually helping some vaccine injured people. These are all people though who have kind of been ostracized and are doing it from the outside. There's also the Facebook support groups, I mean, which get censored, which is a really shame, but like there's a lot of sharing of information there. So a lot. I mean, my Facebook support group is a lot of like, has anybody tried this drug? What did it do? How many times did you do it? Did you get better? There's a lot of that. And there's a lot of like helping people not feel abandoned. And then suddenly Facebook shuts down the group. So like in the group, we have to speak in code. We're not allowed to use the word Pfizer, Moderna vaccine, COVID Like there are words that we can't say in our support group, you know, because otherwise it gets flagged and and we could be taken down. So that's and as but so as far as I feel like your bigger question is like, what support is there like, governmentally like in the system, right? Like, shouldn't there be some sort of support from the government, from the companies? Like, is there any support system? And the answer is no. Like, there's there is. I mean, I'm talking slowly and thinking, but there is no support for anybody who's injured. There's no, I mean, there's no support. There's no support. <laughs> like we are supporting ourselves. We are our own doctors. There are doctors that are great, like, you know, who are helping and joining our groups. But as far as like a, a systemic a systemic organization that studies us and is helping us and is making us feel like we'll be okay, money no. Like, you know, you can't sue the pharmaceutical companies there's one program that you can apply to for money if you've been injured, but like you have to really prove this and that. And they, and then in the end, they don't give you that much money if they do give you money, but it'll take a couple years. And so there's no, no, there's no fund to help us. There's nobody dedicated to help us. There's nobody telling us what to do. I called the NIH when I had my reaction and was like, before I, before, when it was time to get my second shot and everybody was still on television saying, get both shot, it's safe and effective. You should do it, you should do it. And I'm like, well, if I don't get my second shot, Am I gonna die of COVID? Like, what? What? You know? I mean, I was always a little skeptical of that, and saw that it wasn't as bad as they were saying for some people. But the NIH replied back to me because um, I said, "This is what's happened. Tell me, do am I supposed to not get the second shot?" And somebody at the NIH replied back to me, and she said, "We cannot give medical advice. Ask your primary care physician." And that's like the uh, an official stance of one of the official agencies, and it's just like. So, and I don't have, and at that point, I had, I didn't have insurance and I didn't have a primary care physician. And I can guarantee you that most primary care physicians aren't in a place to understand the reactions. They need to be led by the agencies.
1: You know, I just saw a graphic, I think from somewhere in New Jersey, where they were offering uh, children ice cream for getting COVID vaccinated. Yeah. What's your reaction to that?
0: It's all it makes like I've seen, wow. There's so many things wrong with that, um, but wasn't there a Sesame Street about the vaccine as well? I think so. And I also saw the Marvel comic characters, right? I feel like there was a whole campaign with the Marvel comic characters say, be a hero. It was something like, be a hero, save people, get vaccinated. So I when you, the ice cream is horrible, then I think about these other things. and really playing on kids emotions and but ice cream is bad because ice cream is sugar and it's actually not good for you like so and the whole point of the way to beat covid like one of is like being healthy like the whole the people who died all had you know not all but a majority had comorbidities and they had a lot of comorbidities so it's very clear that the healthier you are the better chance you have of it so like let's start these kids young getting obese and eating sugar and not being healthy to fight these diseases and
1: Well, just What what comes to my mind is, and this is something I discussed with uh, Dr. Robert Malone early in the pandemic, it just, there's this idea of the noble lie, right? And with vaccines in general, I think over the over years, there's been this idea, every vaccine has harms associated with it. I don't I don't even know if most people realize that now or then. Right? And, and there's systems created to help those people, at least in theory, that do get injured because ostensibly it's for the better of the populace. But the idea was, we're not going to tell people that we're going to tell people they're completely safe. Because what if they don't get if they yeah. know that there's even a small chance, right, then maybe they won't be as eager to, to do it.
0: Right? Yeah. And
1: so this is the idea. That's the idea of the noble lie. We're not going to tell people the entire truth. And then that can sort of should I use this word metastasize into telling people things to elicit a very specific behavioral response irrespective of the reality of those things yeah right
0: yeah, i that's when I would get into discussions with people who were super provax, you know about what I was going through and about the mandates, and I would bring up things that like were blatant lies that the government had said, that the CDC had said. And I'm like, we can go to their website right now and I'll show you, because I I knew where to go. So I'd pull up the CDC website, and I'd show them something the CDC was touting about the vaccine and touting about natural immunity and like these things that were, and I'm like, now I can show you that even in Israel, even here, they're all saying this works. And so I would be really systemic about it, systematic about it. And um, I would get met with, well, you can't tell people all this stuff because people aren't capable because then they'll take it and run and they're not capable. And I, people literally said this to me when I'm trying to like say, this is why we're not being told the truth. I got met with, well, some people can't handle the truth. They're not smart enough to think on their own. Mm. Um, So if you tell them things, then they're going to take it another way, think it's bad and use it for their agenda. And they're going to make it this big propaganda that like, oh, you know, vaccines are bad and nobody should get vaccinated because of this when they're not able to, when those people aren't able to see the nuance. So they can't handle the truth. And I heard that a few times from people that I think are really smart and who I really respect. And when I saw that happening, I'm just like,
1: What, I, what, a, what a bizarre irony, yeah. right? What a, sort yeah. of What a Because you already kind of know the answer has to be very specific. Yeah. It's not, you know, yeah. as long as you choose that you're smart. Yeah, as long as you choose that one thing that I have already decided, and don't yeah. think about it too much, then you're smart. Hmm. Interesting,
0: really interesting. And it was and that to me, is one of the things that woke me up. I mean, there was a whole process of being woked up, waked up. But when I would talk to people and they would say things so blatantly, or when they were like, when people would say all over and like they'd love to post on Facebook, you're a, you're a preschool teacher, what do you, you don't, don't try to do science, you know, listen to the scientists. You're a trucker, don't try to do science, listen to the scientists. And, and these are smart people saying that who aren't scientists. <laughs> and it's just like, wait a second, so are you telling me not to think? Are you telling me I don't have a right to think because I'm not qualified, so I just need to listen to the people who do? It made no sense.
1: You know, you have this moment in the film where you, you pull up uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and it, yeah, there's, you know, everyone knows he said, I am the science, right? But I, I somehow didn't know until I watched your film that after that he says, everybody knows that. I represent science. And if you're attacking me, you're really attacking science. I mean, everybody knows that. Really? Everybody knows that. That is an amazing. Yeah. And but but the reason I mention this is this kind of encapsulates the idea that you already know someone has told you what the science is, and this is and so someone has told this person who's taking this position what the science is. They know because they've had the expert guidance. They're kind of an expert themselves, and everybody else is obviously wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I have joy like before. I have um, him in the film. I have Joy Behar from The View. And she flat out said, and so The View was very opinionated. The ladies in The View were very opinionated. I would, And that always got me too. It got me when I would watch things like that and they'd be hating on the people who weren't getting vaccinated. And I'm just like, that's a really opinionated stance to take and a really hateful stance to take. Like, it's okay to have an opinion and think they should, but there was so much hate. And then I also knew that I wasn't vaccinated, so they're hating on me, you know? And I'm just like, there's so much they're not looking at. But Joy Behar said... Well, I just listen to Fauci. That's all I do. Like, I don't need to listen to anybody else. I listen to Fauci. That's good enough. And she said that on national TV. And like, and, we're, and it's just like, it was cra- It was really crazy to me. Like, I'm just like, you don't just listen to one person. You don't. And and once Fauci became more and more like arrogant about things and saying that he's the science, when that's the opposite of science. Like, science is debate and talk and evolves.
1: I kept thinking about this noble lie. In the film, there's multiple times where this idea comes up. You, you quote Vinay, Dr. Vinay Prasad saying, you cannot do science differently because you want people to do something again. So he's obviously against the the, the idea of the noble lie here. Um, where do you stand on the noble
0: lie? I'm 100% against it. You have to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to tell. Is there ever a reason to lie to somebody. I mean, maybe to your 2-year-old who's having an attack and you have to have them put on their shoes and you know it's better for them to put on their shoes. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm like maybe like but yeah, you're talking about a 2-year-old. No. I think I think you always have to tell the truth. You always have to lead with the truth and then it's your job to figure out how to make people see
1: it. That's my my own sort of lesson of the last well, one of the lessons of the last few years is something in this vein, you know. I feel it's not that I, I I felt you should go around lying to people this is not not at all, but I was much more open in my in my mind i could see I could understand why you wouldn't you know have unfettered free speech. I could see you know why why should you allow for holocaust denial speech? We can get rid of that. Why would we want to have to deal with that? Well these days I'm still thinking about it a lot more because frankly, once you allow for you know, certain types of censorship or certain types of lies, what happens? Well, apparently, people who don't know what they're doing or have ill intent, take advantage of that. Right. And the social cost of that, as we've learned is massive. So I'm becoming this kind of absolutist in these areas, you know? Yeah. Um, but it also that it has its own problems, too. And it
0: does. It's hard. It's but you can't trust people have agendas. And so you start lying and you don't know what's the truth. And I'll tell you, I can give you handfuls of people I know now who were pro-vax at the beginning and are now not only anti-COVID vax, they're anti all vaccines because now they have seen so many lies that are noble lies maybe. But because of that, it's it, you start getting the spiral of, well, if I can't believe that, what else can I believe? Like that's the thing you get caught in the lie and then suddenly nothing you say is credible. And well, but, that's but the and maybe
1: you have a case on top of that, yeah. right? I, when I yeah. when I say that, I mean, you know, you ask yourself if this, you know, we're learning. For example, we have a we have a, a headline today at the, the Epoch Times. Uh, you know, FDA normal safety protocols were not adhered to. You know, when looking at this, uh, looking at this vaccine. When else was this the the case? Is what is the likelihood that this is the first time yeah no these are real questions that need to be asked there has to be this you talk about accountability you know it's right. like throughout society right right
0: it, yeah like one lie exactly and you spiral into it so it's like who's what that's the problem is like who says we know that about misinformation so anecdotals was taken off YouTube a day and a half after I put it on for misinformation and it's been taping off of Vimeo, like all the, it can't be on any platforms, any mainstream platforms, or it couldn't. Um, However, so I fought it with YouTube and I have to say like, so when I'm seeing that I'm being censored for misinformation, but then I reach out to them and I'm like, will you please tell me what in this movie is misinformation? Because I've spent a lot of money and three months with a lawyer to fact check everything in the movie. I paid the extra money to like make sure, if you go to the website anecdotalsmovie.com, there's a reference tab where every single study, every single study mentioned in the movie, and every single news clip in the movie, there's a link, you can watch the entire news clip. So if you think I pulled out a soundbite to serve my agenda, go to the reference page, find that part, it's chronological, Chronological order and you can watch the whole interview. You can watch the whole thing also every study every is all there So I'm very clear about I wanted to make this as bulletproof as I could I knew I would be it would be skeptical for a lot of people So I asked YouTube and I asked Vimeo and I'm like, can you please just tell me one thing in this movie? That's misinformation and they won't tell me they're just like it's misinformation and but the good news is, so, so that's the censorship. When you're censored, when you're suddenly censored, I think there was a time I might have been like, oh yeah, some stuff is a little crazy and shouldn't be out in the mainstream. Because it's true, some people can't handle it and it'll start you know, making people really radicalized and, but it's like, no, cause then you realize somebody who's the one to say what's misinformation. And with the COVID, the people who are saying misinformation, a lot of times are giving the most misinformation. And, well, and, so, and yeah.
1: in a lot of cases, these are people that we entrusted.
0: Yeah, right? that we totally. And then I have to, I have to also say that YouTube has actually put the movie back up.
1: hmm which is huge. Um, With an apology, as I understand it. With an apology, yeah,
0: and good for them. Like, so I want to give them props at the same time for whatever reason they did it. I mean, they rejected my appeal, and this is what they all do. Like, they reject your appeal, so I know. But we've been causing a lot of problems. And I mean, like, you know, tagging them on YouTube, misinformation. And I think because of the Twitter files and Twitter being a little bit, a little under the microscope for their censoring that the other ones are starting to be like, okay, let's make sure. Then Senator Ron Johnson tweeted about YouTube and the movie censorship. And it was like, I think it took all of that. And I think he got like 60,000 views on that tweet in two hours. And it was that afternoon that I got a letter from YouTube saying they mistakenly took down the movie and they apologized and they put it back up. So that's huge. And I'm I'm thankful for YouTube for that, but also that should have never been taken down. And there's many things on YouTube there's other things that should be put back up as well, like, you know, like, but it's a start
1: It's a start. I'm glad to know that the film is back on YouTube and available. So maybe why don't you tell me just where they can watch the film mm-hmm. anecdotals and also where they can watch it movie. I probably everyone is uh, <laughs> ready for a comedy right now. So
0: thank you. Yeah. So for anecdotals, it's on the web, it's free. So we have it free. No ads. We talked about should we have ads? Like, how do we make our money back? All that. But the most important thing is that this movie is free. We want this movie to be shared, especially like with the skeptics in your life. Like we all have somebody in our life that since the whole pandemic, we've been trying to like get them to see what's going on and they won't. And I made this movie for them on a large level. So the people who kind of don't want to believe, but, but still might, have them watch a movie. So pass it along to people in your life who are uh, skeptical. It's free on the website, www.anecdotalsmovie.com um which is actually the YouTube link too. So it's on YouTube, Anecdotal's movie. That's all of our ta- on YouTube um is at Anecdotal's movie, Instagram, Twitter, we're all there, but you can watch the movie for free on YouTube. We also have a Rumble and Odyssey and so it should be easy to find, easy to share. And then for those of you who are who could really use some levity in this hard dark time, I have made a, a fiction comedy that's really awesome and also very cerebral. So it's like it's not like it's not typical comedy, but um, it's called Una Great Movie, and it's on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it free on Amazon Prime, or you can rent it on Amazon. You can also watch it, you can rent it on YouTube, but there's a YouTube channel, just Google Una Great Movie, or you can watch it for free on YouTube with ads, or free on Tubi with ads. So you have many options for Una Great Movie. Um, I suggest not watching it with commercials, but if, if you want it for free, then that's
1: also fine. <laughs>
0: Those are my movies.
1: Well, Jennifer Sharp, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been great.
1: <sighs> Thank you all for joining Jennifer Sharp and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck. <laughs>